Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Hour 2. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports for this Wednesday evening. Bit of a stormy afternoon. Bit of a stormy evening. A little unsettled out there. So uh, wherever you are, uh, I hope it's not uh, storming in your area. And if it is, well, take cover. We need it. Well, we got all that wet snow last week, so maybe we don't need it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> coming up this hour, uh, Matt Shimshock, who is the sales manager for the Riddell Smart Helmet, will join us to talk about this technology uh, that the Dalhousie Tigers will use in their upcoming uh, U-Sport season just to track head injuries. And also Steve Sir from the... Uh, Edmonton Stingers, he's the director of player personnel. Canadian Elite Basketball League begins this weekend as the uh, Stingers host the Niagara River Lions from the Edmonton Expo Centre, 7 o'clock. Oh, by the way, the Edmonton Prospects, they're back. They're back. Yes, they are. 6.30, Chad wants to send you and three friends to the home opener. I'm going to give away two sets of four-pack of tickets tonight. Okay. Yes, Kellen. So get ready, because I'm doing it now. First Do it call. now. Come on. Do it now. Do it now. Do it. First caller wins a four-pack of tickets to the home opener. Edmonton Prospects, Leftbridge Bulls at REMAX Field. 780-496-0063 is the phone number. All right. Game 7 of the Western Conference, uh, sorry, the uh, Western Conference final is only half set. We'll know who is in the uh, matchup with the St. Louis Blues after this game tonight in San Jose as this second-round series in the Western Conference will wrap up. The Sharks at home to the Colorado Avalanche. Joe Pavelski is in the lineup. Hasn't played since uh, that cross-check or... Well, well, he was uh, cross-checked by Cody Eakin, and then he had a, you know, just kind of lost his balance, hit his head. Nasty injury, big-time laceration on his head that scene was pretty gruesome with all the blood uh, but he is uh, back tonight after missing the first six games of the series with a concussion so I don't know what's going to happen you know, it's, it's hard to predict Like some, it was almost like St. Louis Dallas yesterday so hard to predict that series there, there was games where Dallas looked like the better team and then the last two couple games the, the Blues looked like the better team and it was a closely contested game 7 that went to double overtime how about this for the first time in NHL history, we had three Game 7s go to overtime. Pretty impressive. It's been a strange playoff because of the first round with the two conference leaders from the regular season being bounced and four division winners being bounced. 
But uh, we're going to know who the final four is tonight. As the Blues will get a, an opponent determined. And the Western Conference Final, this will be all official, I would assume, uh, tonight or tomorrow morning by the National Hockey League. But the word is, is the um, series will start either in San Jose or St. Louis on Saturday. Tomorrow is Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Final between the Boston Bruins and the Carolina Hurricanes. We got the game for you right here on 6.30. Chad, just after 6 o'clock. And we are the home of the NHL Stanley Cup Conference Finals and the Stanley Cup Final. So I've got a winner for you. It is Arthur who got the first four-pack. Arthur, congratulations. Excellent. And uh, just because I had so many things going on here, it's really busy behind the board. Uh, are we giving away the second pack now or a little bit later oh, We'll on? do it later. We'll do it a little we'll later? We'll do it later. On? Okay. We'll Keep just... listening, everybody. We've got one more four-pack. We'll just cool it down here, folks. We'll just cool it down. Uh, breaking news, the Blue Jays have scored a run. They have scored a run. Their first run in the series. Unfortunately, they're down 9-1 in the top of the sixth inning. Not so good at all. At the half in Milwaukee, the Bucks in control. Absolutely in control. 59-52-39, that is. 52-39 over the Boston Celtics. Uh, looks like Milwaukee, you know, they're in control. They're cruising. And uh, they win tonight. They're going to the Eastern Conference Final. Raptors can get to the Eastern Conference Final tomorrow with a win over the Philadelphia 76ers in Game 6 of that series as the uh, Raptors crushed the Sixers last night. Kawhi Leonard has been a man possessed over the last number of, uh, well, this whole playoff, really. Ten games. He is averaging 31.2 points, 8.2 rebounds, shooting... Ha! Ah, 57.4% from the field. That's ridiculous. That is absolutely insanely ridiculous. And you contrast that on the Sixers side of things. Jimmy Butler has averaged 18.2 points per game, 5.3 rebounds for the Sixers. Joel Embiid has averaged 18.4 points, 9.2 rebounds, while shooting 39% in the playoffs for the Sixers. That isn't going to get it done. And last night, the Raptors finally got some secondary scoring. Danny Green, Kyle Lowry finally showed up because he hasn't been very good in these playoffs at all. Even though he's averaging 14.2 points a game, he is distributing the ball pretty good. He's averaging 8.7 assists. But the Raptors uh, finally got some other guys going. Serge Ibaka was good last night. So they need to keep that going. But Kawhi Leonard is just saying, look, just I'll, I'll take you, boys. You know, just crawl on my shoulders. I'll, I'll carry the whole team. But it's good that he's getting some help here. Now you can text in at 630-630. More on the Zach Cassian school of thought here from Richard. Cassian has tons of skill, 13 overall pick. It was his personal problems, I think, that kept him from achieving his full potential. To this point, as a hockey player, I think he could absolutely get 20, 25 goals next year on the top line, considering he had 15 last season. If he plays on that top line for the whole year, sky's the limit. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. It's possible. I, I just don't know if Zach Cassian can keep up that consistency. You know, he was really good the last part of the season, but can he do it for 82 games? You're going to have dips and all that during the year, but... I think um, 
I think the fact that Zach Cassian has been a very inconsistent player. I think Zach Cassian's role is this. He can provide you some secondary scoring, but I think he's better on that grind role in the bottom six. And a player that maybe you can move up once in a while, but I, I just think Zach Cassian, uh, you know, the uh, kind of the body of work over his career is he's an inconsistent player. But he's at his best. Look at what he did two years ago. Energy guy, agitator, physical, uh, kills penalties. You know, I, I don't know if the plan going forward should be Zach Cassian on the top line with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. I think it's an option, but I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a long-term plan. And I know he was a 13 overall pick. He was a good player, but there's lots of first-round players that, I mean, don't end up being a top six player. I mean, Boyd Gordon's an example for that. It just popped in my head. There's lots of players that are like that. So. You can text in at 6.30, 6.30. Rob says, the Twins better send that pitcher who allowed the run to the minors. To the minors you go. Or trade them to the Jays. Sure. Jays could use them. They need them. (laughs) Clearly they need them. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, Earlier, of course, we've been talking about Ricky Ray retiring after a 16-year CFL career, nine of those spent with the Edmonton Eskimos, and franchise leader in almost every category, including interceptions. Ah, that's one blemish on his record. He play as long as Ricky Ray did. It's going to happen. Will Ricky Ray be a potential coach one day in the CFL? Uh, current head coach Jason Moss says, yeah, I think so. I think he'll be a great coach. I think Ricky's one of those guys that'll be great with whatever he decides to do. He's a he's a big-time thinker. I mean, that guy, he doesn't ever do anything without really thinking things through. And once he's in, he's in. And uh, he makes it work. And, you know, that's what that's why I believe he'll be a good coach. I mean, all the knowledge he has in his, his head, he'll figure things out as you go. You don't just, you know, get into coaching. You're, you're not generally just great at it right from the right. get-go. You have, there's a learning curve to it. But he's so methodical with the way he thinks things through and uh he's a genius and if you ask me in that way in that regard um you know so i'm gonna look forward to seeing him this summer when he does come up and spend some time with him and you know like i said whether he decides to get into coaching or that whether that is for him or not i I just know he's going to be successful in his next venture maybe jason moss brought a breaking news story ricky ray's coming up in the summer (laughs) i don't know why (laughs) <laughs> I don't even know when the Argos play. I mean, I should know because the season's coming up. Kellen, you can check that out. That'd be great. Oh, here comes Kellen. Thursday, July 23rd. Okay, there yeah. you go. It's so, our first uh, matchup of them. So Okay. So hey. I didn't look and see if it was a home or away game, but that's where we meet them. So. Uh, it'd be nice to put another name on the Wall of Honor. That'd be a perfect night. Don't have to wait for the Hall of Fame. He'll be a first ballot, no question. Uh, Yesterday, the Oilers introduced Ken Holland as their new general manager. As I was laid up in the hospital, I still had my phone, and uh, I was able to, uh, you know, keep track of uh, what he said. And I was overall impressed. I mean, I know there's a lot of concern. Has Ken Holland lost the magic? Is he really as good as he thinks he is? And um, did he inherit a you know, already a superstar team and all that. Well, yes, he he did. But, you know, when a general manager wins a cup in the non-cap era and in the cap era, that's saying something to me. Um, 
someone who I hope will come here and be able to influence this team. He's been around a long time, but influenced his team about culture, influenced his team about the proper way of doing things. And yes, he will make changes. He's not going to sit here and go, I'm going to keep everybody. No, no, no. He's going to make changes inside that Oilers organization. But I like this answer yesterday out of Ken Holland about how to turn the team around. How do I get it going? We get it going by stability. I have a plan. I got to gather information and then start to make moves on and off the ice that I believe are going to impact the team in a positive way. Uh, I don't have a magic wand. I don't believe there's one trade and all of a sudden things turn. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a move at a time. It's a move at a time. It's a piece at a time. It's going down in the locker room. It's providing stability. It's knowing that we've got a plan and we're going to push, push forward with the plan. We've got to compete. I like to play with speed. Obviously, you want to get as much skill as you can. I like the fact that, and this is a bad word in Edmonton, patience. But if you look at this roster right now, I mean, there are very few tradable assets, too much contract, uh, money term. I mean, if you can get a team to take Lucic's contract, great. That's still going to be hard to do. Uh, Pete says, thoughts on Lucic and Sekera buyout to free up cap space. That's not going to help you. I really don't think it's going to help you very much at all. You know? So I think you have to make deals that make sense. But there's not going to be any rush moves here. This is going to take time. And Ken Holland still expects this team to make the playoffs next year. That's, that's the hope. They were 10 points away from the playoffs this year. And uh, if things went better in January, maybe this team, I don't know if they make the playoffs, but they're a lot closer. But Ken Holland's going to have to be methodical in the moves because one trade isn't going to fix it, two trades isn't going to fix it, three trades, four, I don't know how many it's going to take, even with signings. So you have to methodically build. There is no quick fix with the Edmonton Oilers, and Ken Holland knows that. And I think that's why he wanted the job. That's why he told Bob Nicholson, this is the way you have to do it, so let me do it. You're paying me $5 million a year for five years. You might as well let me, you know, basically drive the bus. You can uh, call in at uh, 780-496-0063 as well. You can text at 630-630. Brian has called in. Hey, Brian. Hey, Dave. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Listening to your show. Enjoying it. Thank um, you. Uh, and just on that topic of, you know, can Holland uh, change this and us being patient, uh, hasn't some of the work already been done in the, our amateur scouting and, and the drafting we've been doing with some of the great players that are coming up? That's my first question. Yeah, I think it, we're starting to see the turnaround. I don't think the Oilers are there yet, but I think the ship is turning for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are a lot of good pieces on the farm. And I think, you know, you look at Ken Holland's history as a general manager, I think the best thing to do is to keep those top prospects, unless they're an exceptional player, but you keep them down on the farm or you keep a player in junior uh, if you can. Like Evan Bouchard, should he be up here next year? Probably not. He probably should be down in the uh, a AHL. Um, yeah. Is Kyler Yamamoto ready? Don't know. Is Caleb Jones ready? Don't know. So I, I think he's got to not fast-track it, and Ken Holland has a history of not fast-tracking it. And I think it's important that Keith Gretzky stays on board because he's been a big part yeah. of the turnaround and as far as from the uh, amateur and the, and the minor league level, that things are starting to turn with the prospects. Uh, absolutely, and finally they're doing it right because I think they've damaged some players by, uh, and we know some of their names that we brought up too soon and expected too much of them, and, and, and they lost their confidence. Yeah. Um, 
Now, the other thing I was going to ask you is uh, just make the comment of you look at the Carolinas and the Columbuses that don't have the superstars, and yet their their teams were um, you know quite amazing in the playoffs. Uh, when you look at Glenn Sather, how he built the Oilers, you know he, he had the core pieces, but he also had all the the other pieces. And I mean, that, to me, that's what a, a good general manager is going to do. And do you think that uh, Ken Holland is that type of guy? Uh, it, it, I, don't, I don't know exactly what he did in Detroit, but is that kind of what he did in Detroit? He, you know, he didn't just look for, uh, you know, the, the the big money players, but he put together the pieces and he looked at, you know, bringing chemistry into the into the dressing room and yeah. and and that kind of thing. Do you, do you think he's that kind of GM? You know, I, I think. You know, as much as you look at the skill that they had, you know, Iserman and Fedorov and, and Cicerelli and Shanahan, you know, it's the players like Chris Draper and Kirk Maltby and, and, and um, you know, players of that ilk that I think that's why the Red Wings were successful. You know, they weren't a bruising team, but they were a tough team. They were team tough, and I think that's why they were so successful um, in either era. I mean, they had all kinds of skill always they've always had that but they've always had the you know the the tough defense the the bottom six that were you know grit and sandpaper and you know not guys that are you know the games change right and you know you don't have the enforcers anymore like you used to but what you need now is and we're seeing it carolina four checks very viciously and ferociously so does boston uh the sharks do it the blues do it the the avalanche are more of a skill team um than a than a grinded out team i mean they're very fast but I think, uh, you know, you have to have the, the, the right combination of, of grit and skill. And it's a hard balance because it used to be where it was ground and pound. You look at the, at, at the Pacific Division, and that's what it was, you know, with the Ducks and the Sharks and the Kings when they were winning those Stanley Cups in, you know, a few years ago. And then the Oilers had that a couple of years ago. They built that, and then all of a sudden it changed. It, it, it became more of a skill game. But I think we're still seeing that you need a tenacious forecheck and you need players that are able to make decisions decisions fast because time and space in the playoffs is so so limited and you look at the Oilers right now and they, they are probably not well they're not a playoff team so that's where yeah. Ken Holland has to take them is a team that would uh, be built towards um, that playing that hard fast game and, and being physical in the playoffs and they're not there yet and that's the challenge that he's going to have and it's going to take time but he still expects to be a playoff team in 1920 and that'll be interesting to see what he does so I would expect to see those you know, subtle changes, and whoever comes in as head coach is going to have to put in a system that's going to suit the players that he has. You bet. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. One nothing now is the score with the uh, San Jose Sharks opening the scoring in Game 7 of their second round. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Series with the Colorado Avalanche, Joe Pavelski scoring his third goal of the season. Back with more Inside Sports in a moment.
So it is one nothing. Sharks on Joe Pavelski started the playoffs. Is Pavelski making his return after a six-game absence because of a concussion? And now Nathan McKinnon is hurt and being evaluated for the Avalanche. That is a huge blow if he cannot return. News is next with Cassandra Jodouin from the 6.30 Chet 24-hour news center. Talk to more football, more about uh, head injuries. And can a new technology in a helmet help to prevent or understand head injuries? And we'll talk about the new season of the Canadian Elite Basketball League. The Edmonton Stingers open up against uh, Niagara on Friday night. Campbell in for Wilkins, Wednesday evening edition of 6.30 Chet Insights Sports. For breaking news and expert opinion, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6:30, Chad. It was Joe Pavelski, his third of the playoffs, that made it one nothing Sharks. And Joe Pavelski assists Tomas Hurdle's ninth goal of the playoffs. Wow, he's been incredible in the postseason. And to uh, make matters worse for the Avalanche, Nathan McKinnon's in the dressing room with an apparent shoulder injury. And uh, we don't know the extent of it at this point. He crashed, he crashed awkwardly into the boards. So we don't know whether his uh, return is imminent or whether it's going to happen at all. And the uh, Avalanche cannot afford to lose Nathan McKinnon in this game. They really got to dig deep now. And the Sharks are now on the power play. But what a return for Joe Pavelski after missing six games with a concussion. Goal and an assist, so very impactful return for little Joe, Joe Pavelski. As the Sharks are on the power play and putting enormous pressure on the Avalanche penalty kill right now. Major Leagues of Baseball, the Blue Jays, not a good night again. They're losing 9-1 to the Minnesota Twins. Top of the eighth inning. And the Jays have lost uh, the first two games of the series. Didn't score a run in those games. 8 nothing and 3 nothing, respectively. They get a run now, but they've been outscored. What would that be? 20-1 to in this series. <laughs> Not good. Not good. Uh, Brian says, you can't forecheck without speed. Absolutely. Absolutely. You need a good combination of both. You need speed. You need some... Uh, tenaciousness whether you're big you're small whatever but in the playoffs man you got a ground and pound too so it's not quite gone yet that physical play of hockey the playoffs are still physical we wonder where it goes in the regular season where's the physicality oh it's still evident in the playoffs okay yes we're going to play this interview kellen kennedy we're playing this interview We've had it in the can for almost a week. Uh, Reed Wilkins, before he left on his vacation, and a chance to talk to Matt Shimshock. He is the sales manager for the Riddell Smart Helmets. And uh, we'll tell you more about it now. On the show, and man, this is this is a really unique topic, and uh, I think something very important. Riddell has the new Speedflex helmet, and uh, Dalhousie University in Halifax, uh, one of the first in Canada to start using it. I'll, I'll let you describe it. You'll you'll do this way better than I will. Tell us the basics of this helmet. What is it going to do? How is it going to help football players and teams? Of course. 
more. So it is a sensor that goes inside the helmet. It's a five padded sensor. So the top, the front, the back, the left and right down into the jaw pad that actually wraps around that student athlete's head. So these sensors collect each and every single impact that an athlete um, has throughout a day, week, month, season, four season, so on and so forth. And not only does it just collect those impacts or that data, but it also compares it to the national norm. Um, and so when I talk about the national norm, Reed, uh, we have a data set that we've been collecting since 2004 um, when we released our SRS or our sideline response system. Um, a lot of people in the, the research world and the head impact world uh, will understand what exactly that tool was. So it's a research tool that a lot of major Division I research institutions implemented. Um, and from that system and insight over the past five years, we've actually been able to collect a database of head impacts of over six million impacts to today's date. Um, with the amount of insight sensors that we have out on the field for this upcoming fall, we actually expect that number to increase to over 10 million impacts. Um, this is the largest database of head impacts in the world from any industry um, as far as we're concerned. Okay, well, th this is incredible. T tell me a little bit about the, the seed of the idea for the helmet. I mean, obviously, head injuries, concussions, a huge topic in sports, especially gaining a lot of momentum, I would say, over the last decade or so. So, I, I, I mean, I, I don't think I'm going to understand all the science necessarily of putting everything together, but tell me a little bit about, about getting this rolling and, and some of the work you had to do to get to this stage where now players are actually going to be wearing it. Of course, and, and so that kind of goes back to my last statement as well when I talked about the SRS or sideline response system. You know, when we released that, it was truly, you know, the godfather of head impact research. Um, it was the first of its kind. Um, and so from 2004 to 2014, um, the SRS system was the only technology we had that collected head impacts out in the field. Um, what Riddell wanted to do when it got to 2014 was create an SRS-like system that you can plug and play at a high school or at a lower level college or at a youth program um, that might not have the team of five or six graduate assistants in order to run the SRS system. Um, and just for a side note here, with the SRS system, you actually had to charge the helmets every night. It would give you all of the raw data and information behind head impacts. So what I mean by that, um, it would give you the exact linear acceleration, rotational acceleration, duration of each and every impact that occurred on, out on the field. Um, but when you're talking to a high school or a lower level college coach and you came out and said, hey, one of your players just took an impact with a linear acceleration of, let's say, 60 Gs. Well, most high school coaches or youth or lower level college coaches, athletic trainers are going to say, okay, but what does that mean to me, right? I don't know what the heck that means. Um, so that's what Riddell decided to release this Insight Impact Response System. Um, and so truly what this does is it relays football information rather than that research data. So it's going to compare you to the national norm and let you know, hey, you didn't take an impact with 60 Gs of linear force. Instead, it's going to relay that as, hey, one of your players just took an atypical impact out on the field for a, let's say, college linebacker or for a high school quarterback. So it's always going to compare you to your playing level and your playing position because, as we know, a college defensive lineman is going to hit a lot differently than maybe a high school defensive back would hit.
Okay. Well, this is really interesting. So it's not going to necessarily signal, okay, this is a concussion or a head injury, but it can tell you, hey, you're taking the kind of hits that, that, that can lead to that, and maybe that puts up maybe, maybe a yellow, not a red flag, but maybe a yellow flag. Is that kind of how you might put it? Yeah, and Reed, you explained that uh, pretty correctly. So, you know, first and foremost, Riddell Insight is not a medical or a diagnostic device. Okay, so at no point when we get an alert to the sideline is it saying, you know, Matt Shimshock has any medical or diagnostic injury. What it's saying is that per the 6 million impacts that Riddell has collected over the past 15 years, Matt Shimshock just took an atypical impact for a, once again, college running back or a high school wide receiver. So it's always comparing you to your playing level and your playing position. Okay, Matt Shimshock joining us on Inside Sports. He's with Riddell talking about their uh, Speedflex helmet. He's telling you a little bit about how it measures uh, uh, impacts and blows to the head and things like that. And this is a, this is a, a personal, uh, there's, there's a personal angle for you because you played football. You, you played at a high level. So when you talk about the, the hits that are received and trying to measure that impact, uh, I mean, you've been through that. And I, I mean, I'll use the old-fashioned term. You probably had your bell rung a few times and maybe had to deal with the effects of that. Yeah, certainly. You know, and I, and I think that's something that's a view every single person who works inside this office. You know, we all wake up every single morning and know that we're coming to work um, and can watch football on Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays and know that we're making a difference every single morning when we wake up making a difference in, in the game of football. Awesome stuff. Okay, so Dalhousie in Canada, um, can you tell us a little bit about how this is, is rolling out? Are there going to be a lot of uh, schools and teams using it in the fall, Matt, or, or how are you looking here? Yeah, so where we're at right now currently with Insight, um, we have just over 1,000 programs um, across the country in the, in the United States and Canada utilizing the tool and um, right around 25,000 student-athletes utilizing the tool. Um, you know, when we first released it in 2014, uh, you know, as we talked about earlier, the game of football can be, you know, it's an old school game, right? A blue collar game. So some of the coaches um, out there might have had a hard time initially adjusting to sensors in the helmet and starting to wrap our minds around, you know, head impact exposures for student athletes. Um, but what we've realized, especially this year or over the past two years, is that this technology is continually becoming more accepted in a game, and, and we're certainly seeing. Um, we're certainly seeing that our numbers picking up on that end as well. All right, Matt. So, are any any other features or important things that 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 people are going to be interested in about the helmet? Yeah, of course. And and one of my favorite features to talk about, Reed, is our training opportunities feature. Um, so, what exactly these do? You know, we've talked a lot about our national data set of over six million impacts that we've collected over the past fifteen years. Um, so when a program is utilizing um, the insight sensors, they upload their data after a practice or after a game. As soon as they upload that data, the insight training tool web platform is going to do the work for them and comb through that data and raise red flags when something doesn't seem right. Now this can be compared to that, their own individual impact history throughout their time wearing an insight helmet or the national norm for playing level and playing position. So an example of that one would be, hey, Matt Shimshock, your college defensive lineman is taking more impacts on the top of his head 
then a college defensive lineman usually takes his impacts in a given week. Or on the other side of things, when we're talking about an individual player's history, an example of that would be Matt Shimshock, your high school quarterback, has taken more high-intensity head impacts this week than he usually does uh, throughout a given week, throughout his entire career wearing an insight helmet. So there you go, Matt Simshock, who is the sales manager for the Speedflex helmets, and uh, we'll see uh, if this uh, really takes off. And I imagine uh, the Dalhousie Tigers are going to use it for U Sports, and if successful, I think uh, obviously other leagues, CFL, NFL, will be calling. Um, coming up, May 25th, it's the opener for the Edmonton Prospects at uh, Remax Field against the Leftbridge Bulls. Want to go to that game? Be the first caller right now. 780-496-0063 to win a four-pack of tickets. The Edmonton Stingers will have their uh, inaugural game in the United Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Inaugural season of the Canadian Elite Basketball League. Steve Sturr, Director of Player Personnel, will join us after the break. Hi, this is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Ched. Congrats to Paula. Off to see the Edmonton Prospects against the Lethbridge Bulls May 25th at Remax Field. Uh, Miko Rantanen has scored now for the Avalanche, breaking a six-game goalless drought with his uh, sixth goal of the playoffs. Nathan McKinnon has returned, by the way. It's 2-1 Sharks over the Avalanche after one period of play. Winner goes on to face the St. Louis Blues in the Western Conference Final. Well, Friday night, it's the inaugural game for the Edmonton Stingers of the Canadian Elite Basketball League. And to talk about uh, this exciting moment is Steve Sir, the Director of Player Personnel for the Stingers. Steve, how you doing? I'm fine, thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. Well, you got to be uh, just a tad excited. <laughs> yeah, this is, you know, this is an exciting time. I think uh, all the the uh, the hype and the, the social media messages and the press conferences and and all those good things that have led uh, to a lot of uh, a lot of excitement and uh, I guess buzz if you would uh, um, is all going to come to a head on Friday night and I think uh, for everybody it's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun so I mean I hope people have got their tickets and that they uh, they're ready to get out to the Expo Center on Friday and then come see the the inaugural game of uh, of the CEBL in Edmonton. You unveiled the team today. It's a 13-man roster. Uh, there's uh, we'll talk about the roster rules in a moment here, but uh, um, you got three players on your team that uh, are University of Alberta, a couple of that are alums. Uh, you got one that's on the team now, and Brody Clark, who's been a guest of this show. But uh, mm-hmm. overall, this team's got to be really jacked to to play this game finally and to get the season going. Yeah, I mean, it, one of the things that's so unique about the CBL is that uh, most of these guys are, are all coming from uh, other professional teams in other areas of the world. And, you know, so you have a shortened training camp. Uh, you get your things in quick. Um, but, you know, from from the end of excitement, it's uh, it's a really cool thing because, one, this has never been done before. So you're part of something that really is a first of its kind for, for the players, the coaches, the uh 
the the office management of the Stingers, um, and that adds to a great deal of excitement. I mean, this is going to be something that hopefully is the beginning of, of, of a long-lasting high-level league in Canada, and uh, the players and, and everyone surrounding the team can all be a part of, of the very first go-around with this, and all the fans who come out too are going to be able to say that they were uh, a part of the very first evening and, and uh, first experience with the Stingers. So it, it's exciting from... From the team perspective, it's exciting, I think, from from the public perspective, and uh, I think it just makes for a great night at the Expo Centre this Friday. Steve Sir joining us, the Director of Player Personnel for the Edmonton Stingers as they play their inaugural game against the against Niagara at 7 o'clock at the Edmonton Expo Centre. All right, so you have a roster of 13 players, 11 of them are Canadian. You have uh, Brody Clark, uh, Mamadou Gaye, and, uh, of course, the legend himself, Jordan Baker, who are uh, <laughs> ex of the U of A Golden Bears, uh, Brody Clark is still uh, with the Golden Bears, but how do the roster rules work? Well, unless they've changed something in the last day, which I really hope they haven't, uh, we are allowed a ten-man roster, so we're going to have a little bit of a little bit of shifting pieces. But uh, there have been some questions about the the U Sport player, and I know that that's that's something new, but I think it's a fantastic addition to this league, where one spot is designated for a U Sport player. And it's used, you know, from the term developmental, but really we're, we're in great fortune being here in Edmonton that we have a guy like Brody Clark who's, who's so high level. And, I mean, already in university is, is such a uh, – he handles himself so professionally. I mean, he's, he's a fantastic student. He's one of the, the best players in, the Canada, in Canada, hands down, at his, at his level. And um, – and he's going to be a great representative for for the University of Alberta and for for the Edmonton Stingers. So, I mean, we're so very fortunate to have him. Uh, and it's in, for for me, and I know uh, for Coach Craddock, I mean, that's a no-brainer. So, uh, that part of it's going to be great on the roster end. And then it's also good to be able to have the uh, the uh, ex Golden Bear guys who are who are playing and are and are going to be major contributors to the team. I think so. Uh, it adds to uh, to a lot of excitement. Yeah, I know you touched on this a bit here, but let's talk about. Why do you think this is going? This has a chance of working because I know that this, you know, we're talking about uh, you know, kind of like low-level basketball in Canada, which you know maybe be a bad term for, it, but we've seen uh, different incarnations of basketball leagues in in Edmonton and in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. But this, like, well, this is truly a Canadian league, right? So um, it's an interesting concept. Why do you think this has a chance of surviving? And I certainly hope it does. Well, me too, Dave. I mean, I think I think everyone associated with it knows what has come before it. Um, I played for the Edmonton Energy, and those are, for me, some of my real special memories playing professional basketball was coming home after you play abroad and uh, playing with guys that you knew growing up and uh, from some other guys that you bring from out of town and then being able to play for my father. So those those were special memories. And then you get to play right here at home in front of your family, your, your, your friends, it's a special thing. So I think from that end of it, just having it here and these guys having this opportunity uh, to play in, in front of in front of people they know in a community that I, I'd imagine will will get behind them strongly is going to be special. Why I think this is going to work is they've made import rules, and I think every league that is successful in the world, when you're talking about running a domestic league in your country, has rules on making sure that Canadians in this instance are valued and at a premium and are going to be a part of every roster. There's not going to be um, 
professional league operating in Canada that's not actually a Canadian professional league, if you follow me. So yeah. with this, I think they've done a fantastic job aligning with Canada basketball. They've done a fantastic job making sure that, hey, the league's FIBA, 24-second shot clock, FIBA rules, which can then translate to, to players coming from overseas, being familiar with it and then leaving and going to, to overseas jobs once the season is done and then making sure that Canadians are have roster spots three roster spots one U sport player and six Canadians so you're going to see guys get the opportunity to play you're going to see guys be able to shine and, and get a chance to show their stuff and then also guys who are, who are strong Canadian players that are playing abroad are going to be able to come back and showcase themselves and their communities when they play I hope that that amounts to it working I think the CEBL has done everything possible to give themselves the best chance of, of really building a foundation to, to not just do well out of the gate, but to stick around and last and have something that really uh, builds and grows as, as the time and uh, as the league continues to move forward. All right. How do people get tickets for Friday night's game against uh, Niagara at the Expo Center? Uh, they should call Coach Barnaby Craddock at home, and then they should uh, <laughs> they'll uh, they can go to thestingers.ca, and they can get their tickets right there. Um, I'm sure you can go to the Expo Center Friday night and, and try and pick some up. I would say go online now because I know that there's some some good numbers for ticket sales, and there's going to be a, a strong crowd out. So I would say not to wait and and jeopardize going down there and maybe having to maybe having to go home and hear how the game went. So so go online, pick your seats out, go have fun, take the kids, and then uh, make lots of noise and then be a part of a real special night of hoops. Steve, thank you so much for your time. All the best. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, Dave. You betcha. Steve Sir, the Director of Player Personnel for the Edmonton Stingers. So it is a 2-1. The Sharks ahead of the Colorado Avalanche after one period of play. Winner faces the St. Louis Blues in the Western Conference Final. Tomorrow, it'll be game number one, Eastern Conference Final, Boston Bruins and Carolina Hurricanes. We got it for you right here on 630 Chet. I should mention quickly, Bakersfield Condors, top farm club of the Edmonton Oilers in the American Hockey League. They're playing game three of their Pacific Division Final tonight. They're down two games to none to the San Diego Gulls. The Jays losing 9-1 to the Minnesota Twins. Top of the ninth inning, NBA tonight. End of the third quarter, Milwaukee Bucks 80-62 are the Boston Celtics. Milwaukee uh, should be winning that series. Move on to the Eastern Conference Finals. Still to come, Golden State Warriors, Houston Rockets. And the uh, in the uh, game... Four, uh, sorry, Game 5 of the West semifinal. That series tied at 2. Raptors playing the Sixers tomorrow in Game 6. Chance to wrap up that series. For studio producer Kellen Kennedy, I'm Dave Campbell. Thanks for listening. Have a great night. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.